but we're not destined to make this our home. Father, we're so grateful for who you are in your very nature, that you loved us, you pulled us out of the world, and took us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into your Son. We love you. It's in your Son's Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's go to verse 6. Let's dive right into it. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, for they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in this world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not for my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Amen. It's a very powerful prayer. In this chapter, you see his prayer, that his followers, the 11, will remain faithful even after he's gone. His prayer more or less functions or serves as his final speech in the presence of his disciples. He affirms that he comes from God and he's going back to God. His prayer marks kind of a turning point. Here you see his genuine concern for their safety. It will be a flock without a shepherd. And a flock without a shepherd is vulnerable to whom? Wolves, enemies, the evil one, Satan. In many ways, Jesus was kind of this glue that became this cohesive factor that linked all these people together. People who were nationalists, a tax collector, blue class collared workers, fishermen. He kind of he became that glue that brought them together. And now that he's leaving, now they're going to go and leave Israel and preach all over the globe. Some commentators have dubbed this prayer the prayer of intercession, which kind of implies that there's an act of intervening on behalf of another. Jesus is asking God to protect the men who were entrusted to him. Men who left families, men who left careers, men who left lives to follow Jesus. The purpose of this prayer was his desire to see three things come to fruition in his coming absence. And it, this is really my three points for today's lesson. 
The first prayer, the first part of this prayer was number one, prayer to be one with the Father. The second one, a prayer for oneness amongst each other. And then third, the prayer for holiness, praying that in his absence, they will be mission-focused, but be sanctified as they were mission-focused. So being one with the Father, you kind of see this interesting hierarchy between the disciples, Jesus, and the Father. Because of Christ, God revealed, was, was revealed to them. The Father gave them to Jesus, and Jesus became the conduit of God to them. God gave uh, Jesus' word, and Jesus transmitted that word to the disciples. You see these different levels of hierarchy in this passage. But within Jesus and God, there's no distinction. There's no interchanging. There's no, both entities are one and the same. It says here that, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Jesus revealed God to his followers. In fact, Jesus, in so many ways in this book, is saying, if you've been with me, you've seen the face of God. If you walked, talked, asked me questions, you saw the God of Abraham on the mountain in Exodus. And I think about this, and I'm thinking, okay, if I spent time with Jesus, I saw God. Are those two, ir ir you know, can you reconcile those two truths? That doesn't make sense. Well, come with me to John 8, well, 1, 18, and it actually makes perfect sense. John chapter 1, verse 18, the author says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus is God, an explicit declaration. But wait a minute, you were from God, and your disciples have seen God. Well, see, in the Old Testament, Exodus 24, people are said to have seen God. But we're also told that no one can see God in Exodus 33. It's like, wait a minute. I saw God, but then you told me we can't see God and live. So how do you reconcile these two? Since no human being has ever seen God as he really is, those who saw God saw him in a form he took on himself temporarily for the occasion. For us, we have Jesus. Jesus is the face of God. The way he lived his life, the way he conducted himself, you witness God's very nature right then and there. So if you walked with me for three years, ate with me, you bugged me and asked me questions, all that you spent time in God's presence. Jesus says in John 8, verse 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is expressing a oneness with God that cannot be taken apart, distinguished, or debated. Jesus and, Fa and the Father are one and the same. Both are not mutually exclusive. So if you obey the commands of Jesus, you're obeying the commands from the mouth of the great I, I Am. 
As a result, the disciples here saw Jesus at work, and so they saw the Father at work. And there's three things in this passage that makes these 12 men, or these 11 men, distinguishable from the crowds and the Pharisees. It says here in verse 8 through 10, they accepted the teaching. Unlike the Pharisees and the crowds who heard it and didn't receive it, they accepted it as truth and acted on faith and lived it. They knew with certainty Jesus was from heaven. And then they believed. John 10, verse 14 through 16, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Our connection to Christ is our connection to God. This vertical connection you have is supposed to be emulated in a horizontal connection in terms of intimacy. So I can tell you one thing, for 10 years, next month I'll be married, 10 whole years. And one thing I've learned or in these small 10 years is that when it comes being one with someone, you can never quantify it. It's even hard to describe sometimes. It's more so the quality, just the effort. It's the measured need to help that person. It's the dedication to love that person. It's an earnestness. I can't put it on a scale and measure it. I just know I'm one with my wife. She sees my flaws. She wakes up and sees my burly, hairy face. She sees it. She spent time with me. But we're one. And there's no distinguishing that. She's actually part of who I am to this day. I have a hard time living without that fact. Jesus is trying to set the bar that what I have with God is what I want you guys to have with one another. That cohesion that I gave you while I was on earth, I want you to continue that. And I want you to break down and peel the onion back and have this vulnerable relationship with each other. I look in this room, and just like the disciples, you see a nationalist, a tax collector who was a sellout. People hated him. And you see all these different people in all these walks of life. In this room, you got baby boomers, millennials. Was it Gen Z? Gen X? Z? Z? You got alphabets. <laughs> you got hipsters. You got people with gauges and hashtags, no plastic straws. You got people who love gods, guns, and grits. You have Republicans and Democrats in this room. Either way, whatever walk of life you came from, Jesus stripped it down and gave you a new identity. And he made you one cohesive blob of a unit now. This unit is Jesus' representation on earth. So in his absence, your oneness is dictated of how close you are with Jesus. So I look at these 12 men, and I think, man, everyone heard Jesus' message, and only 12 or the 11 were the ones who stayed connected. What was it about them that stood out from the religious community? Maybe a more pointed question is, 
What makes you stand out from our cultural American Christianity when you go out into the world? Some of the things that came through my mind were John 7, 16 through 17. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. The disciples did that. They were like, I got to follow this guy and see if he's real. In John chapter 1, is he the Christ? Jesus is like, come follow me. Because I tell you something, you'll see greater things than these. John 8, 31 through 32, to the Jews who had believed, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 15, 9 through 10, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands. I say all that to say Christianity is not a one-time altar call. It's not a prayer you pray in your home by yourself. It's a group team, and it's a life. And Jesus is challenging you to leave everything you have and come follow me, and I'm going to show you something greater than this. I'll show you what life to the full is if you follow me, the shepherd. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus' sole purpose for the world was to know God by knowing him. In Mark 1, 35 through 39, you don't have to turn there, but it's my favorite passage of Jesus, and I get a glimpse of who he really was, raw to his core. Mark 1, 35 through 39, when it was very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him, exclaiming, everyone's looking for you. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there. That is why I've come. Jesus' private life reflects his public life. Jesus was so in tune and so aware of God, it was who he was by himself and in public. Can the same be said about you? How is your time with God? Matter of fact, no, not how is your time with God, How's your love life with Jesus? This year, I'm going to stop asking the question, how's your quiet times? When's the last time you had one? I'm going to say, how love are you? How, how, how's your love life with God? When's the last time you took him out on a date? When was the last time you spent time with him to listen and hear and just stay still for more than an hour? I'll be honest with you. Now that I'm a manager this year, it is very hard to get that. So some days, I have to just leave my house and just walk and talk and look at trees just to get that connection with God. My heart is the weakest muscle in my body. I'm being very vulnerable right now. Prayer is not a natural thing to me. But I have to fight to be one with God if I'm going to be one with you. Brings me to my second point. Being one with each other. Starting in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. To understand what oneness looks like amongst this fellowship, you got to understand the oneness that Jesus had with his Father. There were a lot of things we took away from this first point, that 
everything that was passed on to his followers came from Jesus, came from God. Every teaching command from the mouth of Jesus was not his. He didn't make it up. It was his time he spent with eternity with God. There was no mistaking his identity when you spent time with this man. His life and his actions backed up his claims into who he was. As a result, they knew his origins. Jesus and his father were inseparable. Every conversation Jesus had, he made it clear that I am this conduit to God. There is no plan B. There's no back door. There's no shortcut to God. I am that path. And it's a very, very hard claim to make in this day. The dynamic of their relationship was what Jesus wanted to emulate amongst us. He said, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one. Wow. There's a vertical oneness, but then there's this horizontal oneness. So when I'm vulnerable with God and talking with God and giving to God, you want me to transpose that to Tony, to Caleb, David Washington, even Bruce Flowers? Man, am I that vulnerable with you guys? I got to ask that, myself that question. You know, this year I started asking myself in my spiritual discipline, instead of when was the last time I shared my faith, when was the last time I shared my faith with a brother? Instead of how's my prayer life, when was the last time I called Kendrick up and prayed with him on a prayer walk? It's been a while since me and him gone on a prayer walk. We need to do it again, brother. Instead of <laughs> how are my quiet times, have I had a quiet time with another person? I ask these questions because every command that comes out of the Bible is always applied in a communal sense. And as an American, 2019 was me and God. It wasn't, how am I fighting to have these spiritual disciplines with you, with Warren Trolley or with Owen Winter, even with Kyle. Like, man, how am I doing this as a team player? That's convicting. This dynamic relationship Jesus had with the Father was an intense love and yearning to know someone. And that intense yearning and to learn and know someone brings about that oneness. In verse 11, Holy Father, Jesus is kind of suggesting a remoteness but a nearness to God. God was awe-inspiring but yet also loving. This prayer emphasizes unity. That was his biggest desire for his disciples, was to go out into the world where Satan is the prince, to be unified, to be one, to be marked as one group of people. And the, re the rendition that they may continually be one comes from that they may become one. So when I read this, that they may become one, is really Jesus saying, no, I want them to continually be one in absence of my presence, that this doesn't stop. Unity is not natural. It's not natural at all. And the unity that Jesus has with his Father is very hard to emulate in the church today. If you look at the church's present divisions, it's really just a result of the lack of following one command that Jesus gave us. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's 2020. 
if I see things on Facebook that tear the seams apart, it's because you're not obeying Jesus. If I see us going at the throat on something so superfluous as politics or what your kid goes to public school, my kid is homeschooled, things that are just dumb. It's because you failed to obey Jesus. And I look at this and I'm thinking, why do we have this unity? Why can't I understand what somebody from a different background goes through in their neighborhood? Am I willing to put myself in that person's shoes or just dismiss them? It's because you haven't loved one another as he called you to love each other. That's very powerful. I think that's what division is, is that you're sinful. <laughs> in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul talks about dissensions, factions, envy. If you inherit, if you have any of these traits, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's put up there with sexual immorality and witchcraft. Can you believe that? As disciples, we're made under one banner. And it's the banner of Christ. And it's something we have to fight for. Are we any different? I think earlier I told you that you had Simon the Zealot, a Jewish nationalist, a tax collector, who was probably considered a sellout, fishermen, blue-class workers. Jesus somehow got 12 diverse groups of people and brought them together from socioeconomic backgrounds, from different uh, political standings, somehow he made them one of one purpose. That's amazing. That, that's actually a miracle. That's not natural. No other program in this world can do that. Sorry, I lost my thought. <laughs> so my question to you guys is, how connected are you to one another? Sorry, I actually lost my, lost my page. Sorry. Usually I number my pages. Don't do that this time. All right, now I'm back on track. Thank you, guys. I'm there. Ephesians 19 through 20. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy. That's all selfish ambition. Amen, we live in America. Amen, we can thrive and be the best we can be. But is that at the cost of being one with this body? Is that at the cost of the mission? Is that at the cost of actually getting help in your marriage? Getting help being a man of God? Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Christ gave us this unity, and it's our responsibility to maintain it. And in maintaining it, Paul uses the verb, bear with one another. Loving people is actually hard work. It's a verb that Paul says you got to bear with some, you got to actually like, man, I'm going to love you. 
Growing up for me, it was, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to hit you with this paint stick. I'm going to love you. <laughs> that was my grandparents, the Southerners, man. But uh, it was love. I'm going to bear and love you until you're out of this house. Same thing with each other. We're going to bear and love each other. Bearing with one another kind of illustrates this intensity, this patience to keep a bond together. It means you got to make strides. It means you got to fight. And we got to go back to the example we have with Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three different entities, one being, one accord. It's no different with us. Colossians 3.11, here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Do you believe that Christ transcends your barriers that you put amongst yourselves? The borders that we put on ourselves, the identifications we give each other. Christ alone matters in 2020. This goes into my next point. Christ prays for them to stay sanctified and remain holy. Verse 13 says, I'm coming to you now, and I say these things while I'm still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have, give, I have given them your words, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As a parent, that scares me. Keep them in the world. I don't want to take them out. And I think my years as a team leader a long time ago, I understand now the, the, the wanting to protect your kids, wanting to shield them from dangers, wanting to just make sure, and these are all good things, that you have a household that's pure in what you watch. You protect them from things that you can't see. But your kids won't be protected from everything. We're not protected from everything. Jesus, I see this parenting uh, characteristic in Jesus. He's like, they're going to be out there with the evil one exposed. They're going to be those dumb sheep that get caught in the thicket of branches in a valley with no shepherd to go rescue them and with wolves right there. What's the remedy? Stay focused on the mission, but be holy. He says, I am not of this world. I'm leaving this world. But they're not of the world. But they're going to stay in the world. I thought to myself, it's a hard truth to teach somebody. Go to Afghanistan and evangelize. Go into this world where truth is now relative. Go and get exposed to some of the most heinous things you'll ever see on this earth. Go to college. That's an eye-opener for a lot of people. You do not have your parents around for that one. Oof. And Jesus is not saying be desensitized, because we need our sensitivities. We need to still hate sin. But Jesus is expecting you to be Jesus on earth. Meaning that you don't have the mindset of the world. And this idea of the world comes from this system, the hostile system that's set up against God, created by Satan, that actively opposes God. 
So whether it's one thing or another, there's something that's always fighting the kingdom of God. Hostility is in our thoughts. It's in our way of life. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says at one point we were enemies of God. The people we're going sent out to, enemies of God. Romans 12, 1 through 2. What's the remedy? Conform your mind not to the way of this world, but to that of Jesus. Change the way you think. Rewire your thinking. Romans 10, 14, 14 through 17. This is a very uh, powerful passage Paul mentions in Romans 10. He says, how then can they call on the one who has not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. If Jesus was to leave this world and his movement stops, what happens to the rest of the world? They don't hear the message. You are God's plan A. Jesus is going to come back, but in the meantime, you are the bridge that connects that. How do people get faith? Well, it comes from hearing the word. Well, how are they going to hear the word? You guys. You guys are the ones that go out into the world and preach the word. That's the connection. Verse 15. The world is where we are called to do his work. This doesn't mean we take them out of the world. Jesus wants you to stay there till this work is done. That means you have to have some grit. That means you have to get pruned. That means you actually have to be willing to suffer. Be willing to be uh, criticized. Be willing to put up with what Jesus put up with. In fact, Peter tells you that you can't, if you're not suffering, then I can't really say that you're a Christian. That's convicting. Blessed are, blessed are you, well, woe to you if people say good things about you. Jesus said that. It's like, wow, I want, I want, I want to be talked, I want people to speak highly of me, especially at my job, especially in my neighborhood. I want to be a good citizen. But no, that's not the, that's not the standard while you're on earth. The, earth. the standard is you go proclaim the message of God. But we know Satan is a crafty lion illustrated in 1 Peter 5. Jesus wanted God to protect them. But how? You want me to effectively disciple in a world ruled by a deceiver. Well, 16 through 17, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your truth, your word is truth. Here, sanctification and the word are parallel, almost synonymous, saying that those are the vehicles in which you Use to stay faithful. That's amazing. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus' mission becomes our mission. We may be here for a long time, but it's our work on heaven that matters. And so let me ask you this question. Jesus has a desire for you to stay holy, to stay faithful. But is the mission enough? Is the mission enough? In 2020, 
in your Bible talks. Is this enough to get you through? Is it going to be more family time? Or I want to do this, or we should do that? I don't know. But is the mission by itself enough to keep you content and secure and encouraged to keep fighting? Is the mission enough? Jesus didn't give you any other options. He said, look, as I was sent into the world, so you are sent into the world. You just got to go. Amen. Counseling. Everything else comes with that. But go to the mission. Philippians 1, 21 through 26. Paul actually had to fight and wrestle with this. And this was a man who was locked up, incarcerated, institutionalized. But he was locked up a lot. <laughs> and Philippians 1, 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress, progress and joy in the faith. Paul found his meaning by living in Christ. And to him, either alternative was viable. It's like, okay, I can die and be with Jesus forever. That's actually what I want to do. But I know if I live on earth, there's still so much work to be done. And I could be made more like Christ. I can overcome weakness. I could see fellowships flourish. Wow. Is that a... I know for me, it's like, I just want to get to heaven. But... Do I want to stay on earth <laughs> and be mission-focused? And this is while he's incarcerated, too. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. Peter addresses disciples all across Asia. He says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He calls them Strangers in the world, pilgrims. Let me ask you guys a question. Are you a pilgrim in this world? Or are you too busy trying to make this world heaven? Is this world temporary to you? What does your life look like? Let me ask you this. What does your schedule look like this week? Or is it, I want to make the best out of this world? Now, I love comfort. I like climate-controlled uh, homes. I like good food. I, I am a foodie. I, li I have a lot. I have a standard of life. I get it. But <laughs> to what extent do I try to make this home heaven, or do I live like a pilgrim, meaning that it's temporary? I'm a stranger. I'm awkward. I'm distinguished from my coworkers. I am not trying to fit in because I know that my life is so negligible compared to the fabric of eternity. That's amazing. 14 through 16, Peter says, First uh, Peter 1, 14 through 16, Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Is that enough? Holiness. 
this term, being set apart. It's something that I want to attain, but reading the Old Testament, it's not something you attain. It's something that's given to you, and it's a state in which you live in. It's being like God. It's wanting to yearn and know God. It's wanting to act like God, be like God, have a heart of God, to be pure like God, to think what God thinks of. That's what holiness is. You by yourself, you're not holy. God makes you holy. But in order to continue in holiness, you have to attain and fight to know God and want to emulate that inside your very being. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and this is it. I know I'm going on. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful nature, your sinful desires, which war against your soul. Here again, you're an alien and a stranger. Do not conform to the ways of this world. When you look at this passage and you look at what Jesus desires for us, the first thing, he wants, to, he wants us in his absence to be one with God. Being one with God means that you learn to be like Jesus. He was one with God. And not only being one with God, but he wants you to emulate this oneness with each other. When was the last time you did something with the thought of another brother or sister? I want to ask you that question this week. And Jesus left the world, but he wants you to remain in the world, but not be of the world. Is holiness something you're attaining to this year? Do you, is the mission enough? Are you willing to be sanctified, stretched? Are you willing to suffer as Jesus suffered? When you see this prayer and you see what Jesus desires for us, you see that Jesus wants us to be his representatives on earth. I pray that you guys... Take this this week, everything that we talked about, and uh, may God be the glory.